Welcome to the Dr. Dez Says It's All Your Immunity Podcast. What to do for self-care if you contract COVID-19. There is a great emphasis on COVID-19 vaccines now that the vaccines have begun being approved and distributed to combat the pandemic. But there are an increasing number of SARS coronavirus 2 variants that are more infectious than the original virus. More people around the world are contracting the disease But many of these people will not be sick enough for hospital care. Therefore, the infected person will have to ensure that they have the type of equipment and immune-boosting nutrients and treatments needed to fight the infection. Those in the same household will also have to take increased preventative measures to make sure that they do not become infected with the virus themselves. In light of these issues, what should a person be doing? What are the treatments you should be expecting and asking for while you self-care at home? In part one of this episode, as well as in part two, we will be taking a closer look at all of these issues and more. One disclaimer before we continue, I am not giving medical advice. All medical decisions need to be made by you, your doctor, and any close circle of friends and family who are your advisors. I am giving you the latest in CDC recommendations and my knowledge of the immune system and the science of immunology behind the medicine. First, these are just some helpful strategies so that you and your loved one can navigate those first days or weeks of having COVID-19. I strongly recommend that you talk with your family and loved ones about what you want in the way of treatment. This is important because should it come to the point where you are incapacitated, it is wise that you have a set of written and signed instructions so that your loved ones can convey your wishes to your doctors and caregivers. In the United States, this is known as a living will or advanced directive. Now, before we begin to talk about immune boosting, You do need some pieces of equipment to be able to monitor how your disease is progressing and if it's progressing to the point where you need to seek out uh, emergency intervention and hospitalization. One of the most fundamental pieces of equipment you need to have if you've been diagnosed with COVID is a pulse oximeter. That's oximeter spelled O-X-I 
M-E-T-E-R-A. Now, when you inhale during the breathing process, oxygen enters your lungs, passes through the membranes of the lungs, and enters your bloodstream, where it's then picked up by red blood cells and carried around the body to various tissues and organs. At the same time, carbon dioxide, a waste product of metabolism, moves from blood to the lungs and is exhaled. This process is called gas exchange, and it happens in the lungs and is essential for life. The effect of proper breathing and functional lungs is the accumulation of richly oxygenated blood carried by red blood cells going to the vital organs of your body. The pigmentation of the oxygenated blood is slightly redder and brighter than the carbon dioxide-laden blood. And that is where the pulse oximeter comes in. The pulse oximeter is a tiny device that usually slides over your fingertip or clips onto your earlobe. It uses infrared light refraction to measure how well oxygen is binding to your red blood cells. And it does this by picking up the different wavelengths of the colors of red given off by the oxygenated blood compared to the carbon dioxide laden blood. Oximeters report blood oxygen levels via an oxygen saturation measurement called peripheral capillary oxygen saturation, or SpO2. The SARS coronavirus 2 that causes COVID-19 enters the body through the respiratory system, causing direct injury to a person's lungs through inflammation and pneumonia. Both can negatively impact how well oxygen is transferred into the bloodstream, and this oxygen impairment can occur at multiple stages of COVID-19 disease and not just for critically ill patients on ventilators. If a person has a mild case of COVID and is self-treating at home, an oximeter can be a helpful tool for checking oxygen levels so that low oxygen levels can be caught early. In general, people who are theoretically more at risk for oxygen issues are those with pre-existing lung disease, heart disease, and or obesity, as well as active smokers. For an oximeter to be an effective tool, you will first need to know your baseline oxygen saturation. And keep in mind that your baseline reading can be impacted by pre-existing COPD, heart failure, or obesity. Next, it's important to know when a change in your oxygen saturation reading becomes significant. An oxygen saturation of 100% is statistically and clinically no different 
than a 96% reading. A person with COVID-19 monitoring his or her clinical status at home will want to ensure that the oxygen saturation reading stays consistently at or above 90 to 92%. If the number consistently drops below this threshold, timely medical attention is needed. Some things to keep in mind with pulse oximeters are that they can have falsely low readings. If a person has circulatory issues with poor blood flow to the extremities, such as those with very cold hands and intrinsic vascular disease. In addition, fake nails or certain darkly colored nail polish, such as blue or black, can distort readings. Also, recent studies have suggested that people with more melanin content in their skin, they have more darkly pigmented skin tones, can also have interference with their readings. For those people, it is suggested that you speak with your doctor or your pharmacist about the rules of thumb on how to compensate for those low readings. Ultimately, you should not think of a pulse oximeter as a screening test for COVID-19. Having a normal oxygen saturation level does not mean you are free of infection. If you are concerned regarding exposure, you need to get a formal COVID-19 test. If you are admitted to a hospital, be able to tell doctors and clinicians what your oxygen saturation levels are currently and where oxygen saturation levels were before they started dropping. That is why it's important to keep a record of your readings as you take them and take them more frequently as they begin to slowly drop. The idea behind the new commercial monoclonal antibodies to fight COVID is that in early infection, if a person gets overwhelmed with the COVID virus and is not producing enough of their own antibodies to fight the infection effectively, they can be infused with the commercial antibodies to reduce the viral load and theoretically reduce the chance of hospitalization and disease severity. I'm going to briefly review what happens in the bloodstream once you contract COVID and how this is related to the work of antibodies. The SARS coronavirus 2 that causes COVID-19 enters the body through the respiratory system, causing direct injury to a person's lungs. From the lungs, the virus enters the bloodstream, where there is a direct route to a person's cells and body tissue. These are the places the virus wants to go 
in order to use a person's cellular machinery to replicate itself and to grow a number. The person's body will send out signals to the first responder cells of the immune system. And for your information, this entire first response system is called the innate immune system. Antibodies, as the protein product of B cells, are among the most prominent in this system. Antibodies will attach themselves to the spike protein of the SARS coronavirus 2. Remember, this is the part of the virus that wants to attach itself to a person's cells so that it can enter the cell and start replicating itself. By attaching itself to the spike protein, antibodies effectively block the virus from entering the cell by blocking its route of entry, the spike protein. Two monoclonal antibodies have been given emergency use authorization by the Federal Food and Drug Administration in the United States. The first is Bamlanivimab, or LY-COV-555 from Eli Lilly, and forgive me, I can't say the formal name again, but I'll reference it in the episode's notes. The Eli Lilly monoclonal antibody is authorized for treatment for people recently diagnosed with mild to moderate COVID who are 12 years of age or older, weigh at least 40 kilograms or 88 pounds, and are at high risk for progressing to severe disease and or hospitalization. The second one is a cocktail of antibodies from Regeneron, and the cocktail is composed of Cassie River mob and Indivimob. This is recommended for people who have been diagnosed with COVID and present with a high viral load and who have a low immune response at the time of a baseline reading. Both monoclonal antibodies underwent randomized control trials, or they were both double-blind with a placebo comparison, and both were found to reduce the viral load as well as reduce hospitalizations. The people who should inquire into these antibodies are those who are not sick enough for hospitalization but have been diagnosed with COVID-19 and fall into high-risk groups for hospitalization and worse outcomes. These include those with pre-existing conditions such as COPD, asthma, emphysema, heart conditions, diabetes, high blood pressure, and obesity, those 65 years of age or older, and those positive for COVID-19 with high viral loads. These monoclonal antibodies are not recommended for people hospitalized with COVID-19 
requiring high flow oxygen or mechanical ventilation. This is probably due to the fact that once a virus is able to enter a person's cells and tissues, and this would be the case with the people who fall into the previously mentioned conditions of having the high flow oxygen as well as the mechanical ventilation. Once this occurs, antibodies can no longer work to neutralize the virus since it is no longer just in the bloodstream. Once virus enters the cell, a separate system of the immune system is called to fight the COVID. Viral infections specifically elicit cytotoxic or CD8 T cells to recognize and kill virally infected cells. Now, it has been my understanding that there are hospitals in the United States and infusion centers that have not been able to administer these antibodies to people who fall within the high-risk groups due to their own lack of access to these antibodies. But remember, these have been approved for emergency authorization and you should be inquiring about their availability. If you need further information or instructions about how to get these antibodies as a treatment option in your area of the United States, please visit www.cms.gov forward slash Medicare forward slash COVID-19 forward slash monoclonal dash antibody dash COVID dash 19 dash infusion and www.nhia.org which is the National Home Infusion Association. Both will have information about infusion centers in your area with access to these monoclonal antibodies. Well, this was part one of our talk, what to do for self-care if you contract COVID-19. Part one, optimizing your immune system through monoclonal antibodies. If you have any questions, you can email me at drdezsays at gmail.com, on Twitter at drdezsays1, that's dr dot d-e-s-s-a-y-s, and the number one. On Facebook at drdezsays, and on Instagram at Dr. Dad Says. Join us for part two of this discussion when we will be taking a closer look into the vitamins and minerals that help you boost your immune system as well as the proper rest you should be receiving to fight COVID. And for a bonus, we'll also look at how you can 
safeguard your home for those who are cohabitating with you as you recover from COVID. So until the next episode. This is Dr. Desiree Barrett or Dr. Des to those that follow me on the YouTube channel. It's All Your Immunity with Dr. Des and at Twitter at Dr. Des Says One. And as always, I wish you health and some food for thought. And remember, Dr. Des says it's all your immunity.